Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. This is episode 105. Episode 105, I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, another week, man. We're just uh, We're just ticking along this year. Yep, yep, good week. Getting ready for the listeners who are going to the Doug Rockies. I will be up there um, flying out this evening. We'll be up there Tuesday and Wednesday. You can connect with me on LinkedIn if you're not, and uh, let me know, and I'll be happy to, you know, if we can grab a cup of coffee or meet at the conference or whatever, just let me know. I have a few meetings scheduled, but I do have some spots open. So if you're up there, up in that area, uh, just let me know. Also, Josh, our May fishing trip is just around the corner. Mm. So if you haven't signed up, texasoilandgaspodcast.com slash fishing. And of course, that is sponsored by the good folks at Baffin Bay Rod and Gun. Josh and I have been down there two times now, right, Josh? Twice, yeah. This, yeah. Will, be, this will be number three, another number- meal, another open bar, another day of fishing. So uh, yeah, I'm, looking, I'm looking to uh, finish what I started last time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. As uh, as Thanos told the Avengers, I'm inevitable. So just get ready for it. <laughs> Should be a good trip out there on the water. We've got this one on the books and the one in June. But that doesn't mean you can't book your trip by going to bathbayrodandgun.com. Captain uh, Aubrey and Sally Black. Um, we go. We have a great time there every time we go it's really a nice environment they take good care of you and um it's it's uh it's really good stuff so bath and bay rod and now we said last week josh that we we're gonna get on here and announce the shrimp bowl now yep. we record this on mondays and we presumed that nate was going to get his stuff done like monday afternoon but he dragged it all the way to like Tuesday morning or something and uh, way behind schedule. And that just, you know, we just couldn't do it after that. You know, those those 12 hours or whatever it was, he was behind schedule, messed up the week. So I think Nate released a, some kind of teaser or, um, I don't know. He released something talking about the shrimp bowl. But let's go ahead and go over that real quick. Um, that is going to be, was it June 4th, uh, I believe is the date. And TexasOnGasPodcast.com slash shrimp slash shrimp. We will be out in Odessa, Texas, Josh. Now, we did this kind of strategically. There is the Midstream Conference that's out there. And so June 5th, we will be out there. It's a Wednesday from 6 to 9 at Frisky Brewery. Um, TexasOnGasPodcast.com slash shrimp. We'll give a link to it in the show notes. It'll be on LinkedIn. It's 10 to get in. So it's $10 for the tickets. Um, you get shrimp and you get, I believe it's two beer tickets. Yeah, two beer tickets. So if you buy, you can have the shrimp and you get two beer tickets. So it's a pretty good deal. Come hang out. I think we've sold a decent amount of tickets so far. We still have plenty left, but they are, there is a limited number of seating. So, um, and what's, what we're seeing is that people are actually buying like, you know, three or four or five. And so they're bringing, you know, it's not like if Josh goes on there and buys one, he's buying one, he's bringing, he's buying three. We had someone buy 10 the other day. So. Um, so anyway, so if you're going to come, we'd love to meet you out there. Uh, Sarah Stogner, we had on the podcast. She's coming. Um, so anyways, textmobilegaspodcast.com slash shrimp. The turnout for this event, Josh, will determine if we do this again or not. You know, we're not, we're, we don't want to do it every month or anything like that, but if we have a good turnout, you know, maybe two, three times a year, we'll get out and do socials mm-hmm. like this. And if it's not, then we won't. But, um, June 5th in Odessa, Texas at Frisky Brewery. Um, again, TexasOnGasPodcast.com slash shrimp. We're talking about one doing in Houston. Obviously, this one will kind of dictate how that goes. 
reach out to Josh and I for questions or comments on LinkedIn. Josh, I guess we can get into the show now. We've got we've killed all the rats. Yeah, man. I'm excited about that shrimp bowl. I'm excited about the fishing trips. Make sure you sign up. Uh, Oxy, Chevron, and Adarco. We've been following the story for a little while. It looks like it has come to a close. It looks like Chevron lost out, and uh, Oxy has uh, has won the the bidding war, and um, looks like they're going to be taking over Anadarko, and it's, it's going to be an interesting year watching how they maneuver. Um, but lots of details that came with that, Ryan. I think uh, Warren Buffett, he's getting a pretty pretty good premium uh, on his $10 billion investment, so <laughs> he should have some happy shareholders. And then it looks like Chevron stocks actually started ticking back up. You know, they um, the title of one article from CNBC is uh, Chevron, the loser in the Anadarko buyout battle, is actually a winner on Wall Street. So the stocks have actually been going up since they lost the deal because I don't know if the $1 billion that they got from losing it is any, any benefit there, but definitely the shareholders are, uh, are, are happy on Chevron side. And I think I shared something on this on LinkedIn the other day, talk about how the narrative changes. And so it went from, you know, this is a huge deal. Everyone's excited. And then when Oxy kind of came in and started battling, you know, it was like, Oh wow, this is super exciting. And then now, it's like, well, you know, Oxy got the assets, but Chevron won. And let's be clear here: to get a billion dollars for someone not to work with you, that's kudos. Like that is spectacular. Um, but I'm not too sure how I feel about the the narrative that's going on about Oxy and did they overpay or not? They might have overpaid, obviously. But kind of, kind of was thinking about this in the context of the the story we talked about last week with the electric fracking and and, and that. And it feels like it's too early to say, you know. Um, so first off, Oxy got their assets in in Africa, and they, they rolled those off to Total. So they, they, they lowered their cost, and they went ahead and did that. They got the Buffett money, which I think, as you mentioned, is going to be a little bit pricey. Um, but did they actually overpay or not? Well, there's a comment in one of these articles that you sent us where the Oxy CEO, um, she says that she believes that their company is better at, if I can find the quote, I'll, I'll read it here, but she believes that their company is the best company to develop these resources, obviously, mm-hmm. um, is what she should think. But if that's true, then theoretically, that alone could be the difference between a good deal and a bad deal. So if Oxy is that much better at developing the resources um, and you know managing their business and stuff like that, then theoretically, then that, that could make all the difference in the world. And it could be that they didn't overpay for them to begin with. So there's a lot to, there's a lot to say here. Um, I'm glad that the story's kind of kind of wrapped itself up now, at least for a while. And we'll look back two or three years from now, and someone will be right and someone will be wrong. The stock fluctuation stuff to me is really more. The stock, you know, traders like stocks to fluctuate. Analysts like stocks to fluctuate because they got to write something on CNBC. It gives us content to talk about. So I'm not mad at them, but that's really not um, a lot. I mean, Elon Musk. Not to get too far off on a tangent here, you know, he sends out a tweet and their stock goes up all the time. It's not really based upon anything. And, and you see that with oil and gas. Um, there's, there's stories that you go back. Exxon exceeds expectations, but um, I think it was last third quarter last year or two years ago. Anyways, they, did, they, had, a, they had a decent quarter, and uh, the CEO didn't get on the podcast, uh, get on the conference call, the quarterly call. And next thing you know, the, the, the analysts downgrade their stock. It was downgrade like a week, you know, and then it popped right back up. So the stock fluctuation doesn't mean a lot to me. What does what does matter, I think, is this fall this narrative out, and then two or three years from now, let's see how it shakes out, and then the follow up, as we've talked about before, is what does Chevron do now? Do they go and buy um, something else? 
Um, do they sit back and kind of wait to see how Oxy handles handles these assets? Um, you know, I, I don't know what their what their strategy is. I think that's kind of the, the narrative to follow, follow is what does Chevron do because this could happen, Josh. Oxy overpays, quote unquote, for these assets. Chevron goes out and buys something for everyone thinks is a great deal, and Chevron underpays for this asset, and it turns out that Chevron can't develop the assets and oxy does and you know there's a lot of ways this can shake out so i'm getting at and uh too early to tell who their actual winner and loser is except for the fact that you got a billion not to work with you and uh i've put that out as a standing offer if someone doesn't want to work with me i will take the billion dollar buyout uh, right now yeah well the extra billion dollars i put out uh i don't know if it was a tweet or linkedin i just said look with the extra billion there's a great podcast that'd be uh willing to uh, you know, a merger or acquisition. Uh, um, I mean, you, would, you wouldn't even take the whole billion, you know. No, not, about not half, even a billion. Half. Uh, you could be proud owners of the Texas Oil and Gas podcast. Probably, I don't know if half would cut it, probably about two-thirds. But yeah, two-thirds. Two-thirds. Two -thirds. Yeah, yeah. we take yeah, about two-thirds of it and uh, call it a day. All right, we got news, uh, Ryan. I don't know if you saw the uh, Houston Ship Channel. Um, it actually was shut down after there was a vessel collision. Uh, one of the barges actually flipped upside down. Uh, 9,000 barrels of gasoline bled into the waterway. Um, so it's been a, it's been a, a busy, busy week out in the, in the ship channel in Houston. And, um, you know, I, I was looking back through some of some notes about when this has happened in the past, I believe 2014, there was a, a pretty massive spill that happened, but times like this, you know, they go in and, uh, they, they clean it up. There's a little bit of I think some birds and fish they're finding it's, uh, kind of an environmental hazard, but it looks, if you look at the history of some of these spills, it's really not a, a big spill, um, comparatively speaking, but it's something we definitely want to avoid. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know, I, I know some of the environmentalists are going to jump on this and talk about how oil and gas is terrible and this is why, but in some regard, Ryan, me and you, we're, we're big proponents of, need to own why what why did this happen how can mm -hmm. we prevent it from happening again and um, and and also look you know economically the oil and gas companies don't want this to happen they lost a ton of money and uh you know so you, you have any thoughts on on some of the the spillage there this week Ryan? yeah look at looking through it you know i think it, it looks like the details of the investigation are still um you know not not clear. And as you said, I think that's important is to figure out what exactly happened what caused it. It seems like something that should be very easily preventable. So who's at fault? And let's, let's, let's deal with that aspect first. Um, it, I was a little sad to see that they said that they're um, stopping the, let's see here. The Texas Department of State Health Services has halted oyster harvesting in Galveston Bay and advises against eating fish north of the line between Texas City Dyke and Smith Point. Anyways, so as a big oyster eater, that was kind of disappointing. I don't know how much effect that will have. But you're right. I think that's what people miss is when this happens, there's insurance, there's litigation. This is going to drag on for years. We probably won't cover it again unless something major comes out of it. But this will drag on for years and years and years and uh, through different lawsuits and things like that. So, um, yeah, a little early to kind of figure out who's at fault, at least according to this piece we have here, um, which is just only a day old. So, um, But, yeah, I think we do need it. Like you said, when you get fat, what's going on? And... The company taking ownership, as we said, you said, you know, that's important because we don't want to get the overregulation um, if we can avoid it. Yeah. And, I mean, we, we hate to see, given government any opportunity to come in and, and begin to <laughs> install regulations, as always, uh, we prefer to avoid that if, uh, if by any means possible. Well, uh, Ryan, there was uh, 
an article that came out, Driftwood Project, moving gas from Haynesville, Permian to exporting out into the world. Um, few massive projects. One of them was a $30 billion project to carry uh, liquefied natural gas from fields in East Texas. Um, it's supposed to be active by 2023. Uh, so there's a, some good news going on uh, with Driftwood. There's a couple of projects that are pretty massive that um, you know we need pipelines. So seeing some of these open up uh, could potentially be, be great news. Yeah, and it looks like you said 2023, and that's the one thing about this LNG market, as you'll see, Josh, is it's long-term contracts, um, and so you know you can kind of see the, the planning is a little bit different maybe than some of the stuff that goes on with oil and gas, I mean, with oil specifically. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think it says there's a 700-mile line they're looking to build that goes from Haynes, uh, Haynes County, um, I'm sorry, Hayes County, uh, from the Permian to New Mexico, and 200 miles in the Haynesville Shell. It's yeah, a lot, lot of pipe going to go underground if they actually go through this. Um, or they are going through the regulatory process, so if you are interested in that, you just need to see what's going to happen. Um, with FERC, they have given them the green light to build a 96-mile pipeline carrying natural gas. Um, so they've got some of it regulated, but um, still got a ways to go with FERC. Oh, hey, here you go, Josh. Uh, they, they aim to raise $7 billion by selling stakes and another $1 billion from private equity investors. We know who's got a billion dollars. Just laying around. Yeah. He's got a billion dollars just laying around. We know who it is. So if uh, if long if uh, these folks over here at uh, Driftwood want to call us up, we can make that connection with someone who's just got a billion dollars laying around for them. Yeah. Small, small fee. fee. Small, small fee. fee. Small yeah. fee. We can connect those folks. All right. Today we have a special guest coming on, Jason Liao. He is the uh, producer and director of the Spindle Top movie that's coming out. I've been doing a little bit of research on that. Uh, Jason, we... Glad to have you on the show today, Bud. How are things going? Oh, I'm I'm really glad to be here. Uh, it's it's great great to talk to you guys. I'm excited. So, Jason, tell tell us how you uh, you got this process started. I know uh, a little bit about the Spindle Top, some of the history. Uh, where did the idea for the movie come from, and um, how did you how did you convince everyone to to come on board? Right, right. Um, okay, so I. What, I mean, I, I grew up in Houston and, you know, this is the oil and gas city and everything. But basically, it started, I, I was taking a landman, uh, I was in a landman program over at the University of Houston downtown. Uh, and it was just like, they they went through the whole history of land ownership and transferring title and uh, mineral rights and everything. And then they came up to the, uh, to the story of Spindletop. And I mean, I had always I had always known, you know, in the back of my head, like kind of what it was, but I really didn't know the whole story. And the guy, uh, our teacher just told us about like that this, this guy that uh, nobody believed in everybody up until that point, the expert geologists over in uh, Austin and in Washington, they thought that there was no oil located along the Gulf coast. And, uh, and, and they said it was too, it was too young of a, uh, area and and it was just it's just amazing i mean that that was the thinking back in 18 1890 and and it was just i thought it was interesting because they were so sure that there was no oil they're so convinced that they just basically tried to discredit uh uh patillo higgins it was this guy who was sure that there was oil along you know over on the sour mound hill later to be called spindletop and he spent all of his money. He ran out of money. He formed a company. They spent all their money. 
And, um, and then he finally interested uh, Captain Anthony Lucas. Uh, he put out a, an advertisement in a mining journal or an engineering journal, rather, uh, sent it out all throughout the country, and only one person replied, and that was this immigrant from Croatia, and his name was uh, Anthony Lucas. And then he comes in, and then they, they all spend their money. They all run out of money again because, of course, it was very, very difficult to get to the oil because there were, like, sand formations, and there had no – it was kind of the beginning of casing off a well – it was the first time they used mud instead of water to flush out the, the, the well. And uh, there was a lot of firsts in, in, in order to get to, to, to the oil down there at Spindletop. And it was only a thousand feet deep whenever they finally, so they ran out of money and then Anthony, or Anthony Lucas had to go and basically try to raise money himself. And he got interested. Uh, he interested the Mellon family in Pittsburgh and they were like, okay, we'll give you money. And then they, gave them money to drill properly. And then they, whenever they hit the oil, it produced more, uh, it produced more, it almost doubled the output of the entire country to that point. So it was wow. a game changer. And it's really the reason why uh, Houston is the oil producing city that it is. And Texas is the oil producing state that it is. Uh, so it's basically the history of the, uh, of the in industry. Uh, and then, you know, Gulf oil came out of that Texaco humble Howard Hughes senior. So it's, it's quite a story. So was that a long enough answer for y'all? I saw where, when they hit the oil, it was like a hundred thousand barrels a day, um, that was coming out. Do you know during that first eight, nine days, how much of that was wasted? Because I think it kind of caught them by surprise, just the enormity of the amount of oil coming out. I mean, did they were they able to? How much of that were they able to um, to keep or to salvage? Well, it it first of all, it was it was a it was a fire hazard for sure, and that that was the first thing that they were concerned with. So they hired men to like keep people away, and uh, and then they started you know basically digging out. A little pool or like you know gigant gigantic earthen tanks and so they made like a, a like a levee around a giant thing but of course there's you know a lot of it seeped into the into the ground or whatever uh, but there's no telling how much was lost uh, but they do estimate it at a hundred thousand barrels per day that came out of that that one way and, and it was whenever it Whenever they hit the oil, it was un it went uncontrolled for nine days. Wow! So, and it was on January tenth, uh, nineteen oh one. So, that's you know that that's the story we're telling, and this is, I mean, for for me, and I'm sure for you guys, this is a very important uh, story that kind of needs to be told. It is it's more about the people that made it happen, their perseverance, and. Uh, you know, you know, one guy was this dreamer guy, who, you know, and another one was just an immigrant from from Croatia. And I think that they they came from completely different backgrounds. And uh, but they both agreed that there was oil in on the sour on the big hill. They called it Sour Springs Hill and then later later to be called Spindletop. One of the things I found interesting is that 
from your story is that you know we still today have you know a peak oil theory going around, and so it seems like you know oil not being available has been um, maybe part of the discussion in the oil and gas industry as far back as at least the spindle top. What happened with these gentlemen after they were successful here? Because sometimes you do see the wildcatters, if you will, that go out and they're really successful and they do something good the first time, but they can't continue that success. So after Spindletop um, kind of takes off, where does the story go from there? Once once the whale hit, it just all, you know, it, it, it all broke loose. So everybody started coming down to, to Beaumont. And then the land starts getting sold and everybody's got a piece of land. And then these, the, some guy, you know, uh, what was his Guffy? Uh, he started selling off land and he sold it to uh, Jim Hogg, who was the, who was, you know, the former governor of Texas. Uh, and those guys kept like just selling off piece by piece by piece by piece. And that's how you see all these little oil derricks, like all up and down the uh the hill and everything so basically they you know they go they rush to produce and everybody was producing everybody was sticking holes in the ground and it was one of the first uh oil busts because after that they had so much supply that the price of oil actually went down to three dollars a barrel so uh but the the legacy from that from spindletop was um the refining that's where the so the money went from producing and then it moved over like to to the refining part and that's that's the lasting legacy which is they started refining it more and they built more refineries all all up in you know in Houston and you know Baytown all all along uh you know the Gulf Coast what was the most surprising thing you learned through this process well you know history is it's it's fascinating to me, uh, especially the history of where I'm from, you know, Southeast Texas, and it's it's just amazing to you know, it's just amazing to think that this guy, you know, one Patillo Higgins and then Anthony Lucas, that these guys just really really believed in this idea and they just would not let it go, uh, so they just kept kept on and on. And I'm I'm just uh, amazed by their persistence. Um, but I, I, that's, that's what drew me to the story, you know, their, their persistence that they kept going. Um, that's kind of what was the most amazing thing to me, you know, just these characters. Right. Okay. So we have the website, which is spindletopmovie.com. Give us information about, um, the film release, where can people, you know, they connect with you. They want to learn more about this. Obviously, I'm sure you probably do some of the Spindletop Museum down there. So, you know, we're, we're, give us kind of the the full gamut of how all that's rolling out. Okay, so I am, you know, I it's it's not I'm I'm doing a feature film. I'm writing the feature film, but I'm also I'm doing the first scene from that feature film. I'm going to produce it and direct it this year. So I am actually doing. Uh, going to put up a Kickstarter campaign uh, starting tomorrow uh, from May 14th to June 14th, 2019. And I'm going to, if anybody wants to get involved, they can, they can pitch in money and stuff. Uh, I'm looking to raise 15,000 
uh, and there's going to be a video up there and everything, and it'll, there'll be a link to it at spindletopmovie.com as well. So you can kind of follow along and see what the, what the short film is going to look like. And, and I'm going to, you know, that's going to lead into the feature film, the feature film, you know, it, it's going to be a big film, you know, you know, multi-million dollar project. And it, it, it needs to be told that way. Uh, but this is kind of the, the beginning part of it. We're just, um, we're, I'm, you know, I'm going to do this short film and it's going to be up on Kickstarter and, and everybody can pitch in and everything. There's uh, re- reward tiers and, you know, for, you can even, you can even be in the film uh, as an extra dressed you up in period, uh, period wardrobe. And uh, so it should be, it should be fun. Okay, great. Spindletopmovie.com. And if you will send us the link to um, the Kickstarter, I don't know if you have a link yet. I don't know how that works. But if you have a link, you can send it to us today. We will put it in the show notes before the show goes out tomorrow. So folks can just check it out right there in the show notes. And then, of course, we'll probably post some stuff on social media as well. Uh, Jason, thank you for your time. Anything that we left out today? Not, not that I can think of. I, I appreciate I appreciate y'all guys. Okay, great. Well, look, hope to get you on maybe here in a few months as the project kind of gets started up and going and kind of track this along uh, until it actually hopefully comes out in theaters nationwide. That That's the uh, that's the plan right there. Yeah. Well, big thanks again to Jason Leal for coming on the show, talking about the Spindletop movie. Uh, look forward to the feature film and uh, and kind of watching how that process unfolds. Ryan, uh, time for the Texas Roundup. There were two articles that we uh, that we wanted to get into uh, just briefly. The first one is uh, taking taking us back old school. This is a 2010 article about Oxy. Um, this is before they had any gas um, pipelines or investments. They uh, at at the time 2010, they were one of the smaller companies. But they were uh, already being recognized for being better at oil extraction than most of their competitors. They were trying to produce 200,000 barrels per day. And uh, this, it's just a really interesting article to go through. They, they make some comments in here that they do not do any type of oil discovery, that they only do oil recovery. And some of the principles that they have helped them become very successful. Obviously, that's changed over the last nine years. It's just an interesting article, seeing at where they're at today. You want to go back nine years and, and see kind of where they were in their uh, more modest beginnings. It's a it's a cool article to go back and check out. Next one is uh, Pioneer Natural Resources. Just uh, this not too much here. It just talks about uh, their quarter first quarter results. They're knocking it out of the park this year. They're a lot better than what they expected. So uh, I should see some. We should we look to see some good things from from Pioneer throughout the rest of the year, especially with their uh, that they're Permian assets, you know, they're, they're just about a pure Permian play right now. They've been getting rid of a lot of their assets in the Eagleford and, um, it seems to be paying pretty good dividends now. Um, first quarter looks great and they expect it to continue to increase. And with that, Ryan, I think that wraps us up, bud. Okay. Shrimp bowl, shrimp bowl, shrimp bowl, text on gas podcast.com slash shrimp. Be sure to go sign up. Um, I'll be there. Josh will be there. And just, just a quick programming note. So that's on June 5th, we said. I'm pulling up my calendar here. I'm in July, which is a Wednesday. Okay. We do not have a podcast Memorial Day because Nate somehow takes off. I, 
I don't know who approved his vacation. I don't know how that happens, but the dude's taken off that week, so we won't have a podcast because we can't function without him. It's 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 it's, it's like a crack relationship we have with Nate. You know, we hate the stuff, but uh, we got to have it to function. So we won't have a show Memorial Day week, which means you won't know who won the fishing probably until about the time of the trip bowl. So if you want to hear the war stories from the last fishing trip, you need to be there. TexasOnlyGasPodcast.com slash shrimp. Again, thank our sponsor, Baffin Bay Rod and Gun. Be sure to book a trip for you, your clients, your family, your friends, whomever. Uh, BaffinBayRodandGun.com is the website. Be sure to tell the, uh, Captain Sally Black that we sent you. Josh, anything else before we get out of here today? Oh, man, I think that uh, wraps us up. All right. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Until next time, keep climbing. Keep climbing.